This is the South African Composers Archive, and after that very long preamble, which I'll completely edit out, <laughs> I will leap straight into this. My next guest, uh, you will know her from her albums Freedom Flight, Space and Time, and her EPs To the Spring and An Education. Uh, you also know her for her work with artists such as Arno Carsten, Subongile Kumalo, Cardon Spokes, Ariel Kyra, Gerald Clayton, and Gil Goldstein. Uh, you also know her more recently for her performance at the Cape Town International Jazz Festival and even more recently or before that and chronologically it's still the 1st of January so I need to think about it for her uh, Ingrid Jonker Suite Escape and uh, she is also uh, a lecturer at jazz studies at the University of Cape Town joining me in my swelteringly hot maybe a little bit hungover lounge on the 1st of January we have Nikki Schreier thank you very much for joining me today thank you very much for having me excellent um, so let's leap straight into who or what inspired you to start music I don't know that it was a single person I think that it was being brought up and I, I mean gosh I look back on it and I feel very fortunate to have been brought up on a very good diet of musical theatre and musicals on VHS tape right Google VHS <laughs> I can't believe I'm old enough to say that I always listen to people be like you know if you're not sure what a disc man is Google it and I'm like oh, there, there was a thing I saw recently on Twitter which is I am knows what floppy disc is years old <laughs> it's yeah exactly floppy disc, floppy disc. so a uh, musical theatre and also just brought up by two parents who really loved music they're not professional musicians but it was always playing in the car or on a tape deck at home and so I really think that it was just it's kind of constancy in in my ears and in my life growing up that I didn't really have to think too hard about oh what is this music thing let right. me go and seek it out and learn more about it and then of course from listening to music in an array of genres you end up learning an instrument perhaps often the recorder and um, I mean the recorder is like the gateway drug yes. to, to who knows what and in my case it was the piano and you the saxophone, saxophone yes. via a year of harp. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, poor, poor Mrs. Willie. She kept sort of having to tap me and be like, arms up. Right. And I just thought, oh, this is so not for me. Harp was never going to be my, my spirit animal. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that was my sort of way in. And then once I was stuck in, all the extramural stuff ends up being musical activities. And right. Like Beausoleil times. Music School. So, like, I'm very lucky that I had two parents who saw that I was interested and then they fostered that interest right. um, and maybe there was some musicality I don't know but you know they just sort of let me go with it to the point where people are like how did you decide to study music after high school and I'm like I don't remember having a discussion right um it was just like well Nikki's clearly going to go and study music and we'll figure out the you know implications of that on her yes. monthly income down the line i mean <laughs> thanks and no thanks mum and dad so yeah it was just it was always there and the funny thing is though when you ask that question and i and i'm sure it was similar for you because i mean we grew up together and do, even doing things like the franchise chamber course yes. in project in um you just knew what you were doing that holiday yeah. nobody had to take you kicking and screaming you know which was the case for me when it came to like you will have tennis lessons and i begrudgingly <laughs> tie on my tackies but i was like i'm keeping my school dress on and my mother was like all right <laughs> it's your issues of personal hygiene um but the music thing was just it was a no-brainer but that said 
yeah, being asked to think about it in reverse is very interesting. Yeah. Because then you think about kids you know or people you know or if you one day have kids, would it be such an obvious pull for them to anything? Yeah. Whether it's that or sport or medicine. Or I remember, so I mean, I used to go, or well, I was at school with uh, a violinist called Birgit Seifert. Yes. Who, and she, uh, uh, there was a, uh, a teacher who asked us once, who was, I think we were in high school by this point, and she was pretty convinced, like, well, both of you are clearly going to go study music. And she asked this to us, and I remember Birgit said, no, she wants to become a vet. And I was like, no, I want to be a basketball coach. And the sort of like slightly confused look of the teacher, like, they're being serious? This is a joke. <laughs> Yeah, like, they're having a go. It's like, but I, yeah, I like, funny enough, talking about it last night, the whole thing of like, uh, someone asked me yesterday, it's like, well, if you weren't going to study music, what was the alternative? And I was like, well, either art or drama. Like, there there was no, nothing yeah. out of the arts that you kind never of had to really me. consider it, which is a, it's a, it's a place of great luxury, but there's also, there's something there which is an assumption from a loving, well intentioned person parent but also you know i mean there's no there's no blame there because had they said to me well let's discuss what you're going to do i would have said well obviously i'm going to do music yeah so i wasn't up for having a discussion about it right but it is very funny the clarity you get like two decades on yes yeah um, when you're like, wow, there's a whole world out there. And then, I don't know now, Matthias, if someone says to you, I'm flipping this, <laughs> you know, if you weren't a musician, what would you do? And suddenly you're like, well, actually, as an adult, I've developed an interest in this. The, and I could see myself. answer is I'd be fucked. Like, I actually, I have no, I, don't, I generally don't know. I, I have had this thought. I remember having an argument with my dad once where, while I was at UCT, just kind of like, I'm so over this whole music, yeah. the concept really? of it. And I was like, fuck it, I'm going to become a plumber. And he was like, there's still time. <laughs> it's like, okay, fair enough. Like, I can't argue with that. But so like... To when... any plumbers out there, it's a, it's a great <laughs> career choice. There's nothing wrong. And you do yeah. really well. I know you this. Do, yeah. No, my, there's my, never not a need. My mom had a, a, a plumber who was a singing student of hers. This could be the start of a dirty joke. No, or this, it this, could is, be a true, okay. this is a true this story. Is he was a, a singing student of uh, my mom's and he was a tenor and he and uh, he was promptly nicknamed Plumber Rotti. Um, <laughs> and there was a very cruel moment <laughs> cruel and huge inverted commas where he was like you know lesson three he was determined that he wanted to sing or may, possibly even the first lesson he's like i want to do nesson dorma i've come in and like i want to do fucking pacini and my mom was kind of like you know let's let's sort of start maybe working our way towards that maybe and like no i'm adamant i'm adamant so she quickly went to go fetch my dad to accompany him and my dad then promptly uh, modulated the thing up like three times <laughs> to kind of like blood bursting from the guy's eyes as he's trying to hit the tops. It's just like, okay, maybe I'm not ready. It's like, good, okay, now we're going to start. Point with... proven. Yeah, now back to the, <laughs> back to the original key. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, so when, so as you see, you, you started as, as a kid being yeah. interested in music. So when did you start writing? Did, uh, did that happen as you were a teenager? Or so that like started when I was a child and in many ways that was probably one of the first things I did but because I before I had my mom taught me piano before I went for formal piano lessons with with Meryl Preston when I was at Rustenburg Junior mm -hmm. Rustenburg 
yeah, school for girls. And because I was learning at home with my mom, there was a lot of kind of freedom to doodle. And I think that that's a great, even, even as professional writers, often the best composing comes from doodling. And now we record ourselves doing it. And then we're like, yes. oh, okay, that was a good, you know, moment. Um, so I would write songs when I was younger. And then when I was in junior school, my piano teacher, Meryl Preston, was very encouraging because she saw that I was making up things. And then she would encourage me to flesh them out. Or what she once did was Alan Stevenson's daughter, Kathy was at school with me when right. the same year. And um, so because he was technically sort of a parent at the school, she had Alan arrange one of my pieces for... Okay. I mean, in essence, like youth orchestra, but it was, you know, the orchestra of Rustin Girls Jr. And so that was the first time where it was like, oh, wow, to hear something that you've written come to life is amazing. Yeah. But but aside from that doodling, and obviously, you know, there are are home videos of me making up songs and my dad being like, oh, my gosh, my child is Mozart. (laughs) And now I watch it and I just think, oh, gosh, (laughs) you know, he really needed to get out more. But bless him. um, That was the first sort of, yeah, that was the first foray into writing, but it never, from that, there was never a moment where it was like, she should study composition. It right. was kind of secondary to the actual performing on musical instruments. Right. And I wrote some stuff in high school. I remember writing a piece for two clarinets and piano because I just started playing clarinet, um, but two friends of mine played it and I played the piano. And But I wouldn't say that the music was, it wasn't heavy on the developing side of things. Right. It was like a theme. And then that was it. <laughs> So short, I'd say, you know, one and a half minutes. I mean, you know, there's a career in jingles for that, definitely. Well, exactly. I mean, the places I didn't go. (laughs) So after you've been doing it for a while, I know this because, but for whoever's listening, did you uh, study it formally, composition, or you definitely studied music, but I was wondering actually about this with studying composition or anything like that. No, I, so I studied, I, I was a classical pianist um, up through matric and did sort of, you know, up to, through UNISA grade eight and saxophone when I was 11 introduced me to jazz and, and my teacher Bob Murday was great because he was in very, in many ways, polar opposite of my piano teacher who was quite a traditional classical teacher. And Bob said to me, I remember on my first lesson, he was like, Nikki, I'm not going to rag on you to practice. If you want to practice, great. If you don't, you'll still come for your lessons and we'll, we'll play and have, we'll have fun. Nice. And it was just very like, I don't know what to do with this information, um, but let me go and mull it over. And I came back and I was like, oh, actually, this could be quite fun. Yeah. But the thing is, because it was Beausoleil, which is, for those who don't know, an extracurricular music school um, in the southern suburbs in Cape Town, I, I was playing in one of the jazz bands. And I was a very good reader because of my very traditional um, routine-focused classical piano teacher and suddenly also going from having to sight read two lines treble and bass clef to sight reading one I was like oh this is just so much easier so I got into this band where I was very young and it was sort of you know a jazz band like the, the top one and I didn't know how to read swing uh, swing rhythms I like barely started looking at jazz I just right. had the, the instrument which was clearly a jazz instrument and because of that I actually had to work really hard I couldn't not practice and I wanted to practice because I was so intimidated by the jazz band conductor Frank mm. Mallows who nice. now you know we, we get on well but, but but at the time when I was 11 I was terrified and I didn't want to show up to band practice and not have my shit together yeah so as a result even though Bob was super relaxed and lovely and let's have fun I was coming to him with reams of big band music being like I need your help getting this under my fingers right. and he was like well this isn't the fun I had in mind but sure 
Um, so as a result, it ended up being quite, quite rigorous um, until such time as I could, you know, sort of practice by myself a bit better. Right. When I was young in hindsight, I'm like, okay, actually, that's okay. I was getting that sort of support from my teacher. Um, but to answer your question, <laughs> this is the Disney version of this answer. Um, I, so it was basically yeah, with birds. me. Through yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I did it as a matric subject and... And um and then I went to UCT, the University of Cape Town, went to the yeah. Southern College of Music and Twitch Twitch, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I and I studied jazz. So I did yeah. my BMAS in jazz performance, not composition, and then ended up going even further and doing my masters in, in jazz performance in New York at yeah, a school called Manhattan, Manhattan School yeah. of Music. Yeah. But I never when I was a jazz major I'm trying to think about it and I really just spent all my time learning songs and music by other people and yeah. digging into the genre. Look, playing a lot of original jazz or, or arrangements by people who were jazz composers and arrangers like Mike Campbell and certainly learning a lot. I mean, I, I do remember because I, I switched to being a vocal major in my second year but carried on playing saxophone in the UCT Big Band, which was which is a great band. And under Mike's sort of baton, we played a lot of very, very cool arrangements by people like Bob Mincer and um, Brooke Meyer and, and Mike's own stuff yeah. and his own writing. And sometimes his writing can be, you know, he, he can write across the grade. So if you're a high school band, Mike Campbell can write you, you know, a shuffle or a, a quail a song. Yeah. But his own writing, and obviously because he was bringing us arrangements by people like Mincer and Brooke Meyer, it was, he was into some very, like cool composing and arranging that was angular and that required like doubles like bass clarinet and flutes and woodwinds and yeah. so it wasn't like your typical bassy brassy big band sound all the time so it was quite contemporary in that way so i was exposed to it but i never i don't think i really did much original writing i started right. doing a lot of arranging because that's really the whole thing about studying jazz is unless you are and I, you know, love these people. I think they're great. But unless you're an 18-year-old who opens their mouth and it's like Billie Holiday reincarnate. Because then you know what you're going to be singing. You're going to be singing Gershwin, Porter, Berlin, Till the Cows Come Home. Right. Um, but even then, you want to be arranging those songs so that it's not just a stock arrangement of four-by intro and turnaround outro, you know. Yes, yeah. But I, I got quite, yeah, I got quite into the whole arranging of jazz songs and reharmonizing them and turning them around because I didn't really have a, I mean, I still don't to some degree, like I didn't have a voice that could make it special enough. I had to right. work to find another way to put my stamp on it. Otherwise it was like, well, that's nice, but it didn't make you sit up and go, Ooh. Yeah. Um, I mean the whole, the whole thing of like when you are in, in a band situation or big band was, yeah. I guess similar to, to orchestra, um, it's a pre if you're a composer, if you have any interest in, in putting yeah, dots in totally. paper, it's a lovely way to get a very good idea of how people do things, even totally. if one's not necessarily studying it or it, it's just yeah. you absorb like that. I know there is a little bit of a from conversations that I've had, and I, I don't know, there might, there might be some dubious information someone said something as far as like you can't orchestrate if you don't know how to play the piano and stuff but truly i would argue that like if you play in an orchestra or you play in a band or something you get a pretty fucking good idea yeah. of like what's going on in, in the rest of the in, yeah. in the rest of the ensemble but i don't know that could have been a long ramble that didn't go <laughs> no, no, you know, there, no but. I th but i think i think you touched upon something really interesting which is you said to me when did you start composing or writing and i was like well there were like you know little sketches and things when i was younger um but but i think 
that that interest if that you're right if what you said which is the most important thing is if that level of interest is there in composing or arranging it means you take stock of it whether you're in the ensemble the orchestra or the big band playing the music or whether you go to a concert yes i think you listen in a different way because you're your ears are reaching for different information versus and it's the same thing as if you're a musician a performing musician and you go and hear someone else perform you enjoy it and perhaps analyze it in a very different way to somebody who's not a working musician and this is their thursday off and they just want to go out and listen to music and have a nice time yeah that's not to say that they don't have a discerning ear or can't you know critically analyze or discuss afterwards yeah but you are listening for different things i sometimes miss well, I don't know. That That's not true. Every now and then I will hear something where one still gets that spark of like, this is why I like music. Yeah. But you kind of, I, I find like a lot of the, these days when I listen to something, it is from a slightly more critical kind of way. I hate like, it. Yeah, how do, totally. What can I do with that? Like, can I steal this idea? <laughs> like, no, this is shit. That's no, a I can't. Like, you know. It's yeah, a, or, like, or, 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 yeah, can I steal this idea? Or, ooh, I don't like that. Why don't I like it? What would I have done? Exactly. Or, ooh, I love this. And then, I mean, to be completely human, very often I'm like, oh my gosh, I love this. Or I haven't heard this person play or sing in ages. And I hear them and I think, oh, gosh, they sound terrific. And then I'm hit with an immediate pang of envy. Yes. Which I simply take, pick it up. I'm like, that's a human emotion. I acknowledge it. And then I try and move on. But I won't yeah. always be able to move on. And I'll come back to it and I'll listen again. And it's so good. But yet your whole body <laughs> seizes up ultimately, like simultaneously with joy and just mad jealousy. <laughs> it, and I don't know if you ever have that. Or oh, just, all yeah. the time. And I'm not competitive. Like, is sports, I really, I was the person who used to play team tennis and I'd meet up with someone and I'd be like, why don't we just chat and we just say, let's rally and you can say that you won. They're like, no, you need to serve. I hated serving because I have a fear of heights. I mean, this is tangential. So that's stretching up. Oh, right. And going towards the ball. It's the same reason I can't do like handstands or headstands in yoga. No desire to be (laughs) high up off the floor. So hated serving. So didn't really have a sense of, oh, I'm going to pummel you with this serve. I was like, let's just rally and say you won. I don't care. <laughs> and I would be this like vicious Herschel girl staring back at me. And she'd be like, no. And I'd be like, but we went to junior school together and we played an orchestra. <laughs> no, no, we got to play. Um, so not competitive at all. No. And it's awful because I, I don't think competition has a place in the arts. But yet it's, I, yeah, I think, yeah. There, look, I think there is, it's okay to have a little bit of competition. Yeah. I, find. I mean, like if, if you look even just look something like Lennon and McCartney where there there was that little bit mm. that spurred them on. I think to a certain extent there is that little bit of dynamic in something like Shots where it, it or the, the Nightlights the night or light. whatever it's called these days. <laughs> formerly uh, known formerly as. Formerly known as. But there, there is that like we all write and I, yeah. I think we all we all respect each other and we all like each other's yes. music. But I don't, I can't speak on their behalf, but from my side, there's definitely stuff where it's just like, hmm, like this, what you have done has made me think, let me see, like, how can yes. I manipulate so this? What can I do with it? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, there is room for it. And also like music competitions, I actually think there is a place for them. If you're a person who belongs in that place, yeah. I think it's bad when it's a, when it's a student or a performer or a musician who isn't competitive like then don't go don't be put there well like my my strategy was i entered one and i won it so that was it i'm never doing another one again (laughs) exit yeah what's it yeah um, leave 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 when you're at the top i like that well that's not i mean it's not 100 accurate but it was like (laughs) after the the samurai competition i submitted the the piece that won or part of the 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 portfolio that won it 
Kronos Quartet was doing a call for score uh, quartets, Amazing. and I at the time I I sent it thinking like, well, I'm a fucking shoe in, and it's like you know like thank you for entering this competition, like there are many many entries. This yes, like how can this be? This yeah, doesn't I, make any I, sense. Like, I just, but I'm South African. Like, this is novel. I, I literally just won something with this. How does this fucking work? <laughs> oh my god, I so know that, and I actually yeah, I've had recent experiences. Well, I mean, you're the opposite to me because I entered competitions, never did particularly well, and I was a for punishment I was like no no I'm gonna go back this time's gonna be different and I mean competitions like you know in Lithuania and Latvia and um and Poland where you have to take three buses and yes. a mule to get there I was like this is gonna be my one and it was like yeah no <laughs> <laughs> so after having like written a little bit what is the first or has there been um because I for, uh, I'm now sort of stepping over myself as I'm asking yeah. this what was your first commission or the first time someone asked you to write something or this is where I say I'm stepping over myself you tend to write for yourself quite a bit yeah. do you write for other people well it's funny because before you press record here I was asking you how things going and you were telling me about a couple of your commissions and I was sitting there I was like I don't think I've ever been commissioned and and it's it's and that's also why I'm a I'm like not a reluctant composer because you know, at the age, you know, the age of 32, I hope that I've sort of been like, okay, I'm going to own this space, um, to some degree, but it, you're, I think my hesitancy is because it is largely, yeah, I compose for myself and I love the fact that being a musician is very different to being an actor. And I, and I know people who are actors and they'll come to me and they'll say, you know how it is, you know how tough it is. And I'm like, well, actually no, because especially in Cape Town, and this was part of my thinking when I moved back to Cape Town, is that there is room to create. And yes. that includes getting a venue, organizing sound if you need sound, and getting and get, getting bums on seats, even if it's, you know, 15 bums to 100 bums. And, that, so, and so because there is that ability to write something and perform it, for me at least, that has to make me a composer, otherwise I would never call myself a composer because I've never been commissioned. I did once get asked, based on the Yonkers stuff, um, I did an interview on, on FMR and someone was like, I heard your interview and could I send you the script for my latest, you know, he was a South African guy, I don't know what, you know, not BBC or something like that. He was like, and you know, would you be interested in writing? And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like I, I would have been so out of my depth. <laughs> And I and I passed it. I passed on it and passed it on oh, to like no. someone else. I, no, but it's because yeah. I, I. That's the thing is. So that's where I draw the line. If somebody wanted to commission a work that was, you know, acoustic instruments, and um, then I would happily, happily, you know, right. do that. But I've never been asked, and I think it's because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have I don't have a following. I mean, it's funny when you did the biography at the top of this, and not to be completely self-deprecating. I'm I'm proud of you know any CDs or documents that I have, but I'm also very pragmatic. Maybe to a fault, but maybe not, uh, because at this point in time, you know, I I don't want to be living in La La Land, and I did that. Yeah. So I've experienced that. That's cool. I've been there. Um, but I'm very just kind of like, you know, yeah, you play at a festival, you play at a gig. I remember speaking to another friend about this who lives in the States and she was like, it's just hard because you feel like you're going to do something and then it's going to count for something. But actually it doesn't really, it gets added to a CV. Uh, you might get some good quotes or some good press coverage, but ultimately I've just come to the conclusion that if you want to be a musician, whether it's a performer or a composer or arranger or whatever, you have to be content with creating for yourself yes yeah you know something that has come up uh, a couple of times i think in in this is the importance of writing for yourself Mm -hmm. 
and performing your own music. Yeah. It it's I know it to to a certain extent, like I think of I mean, I listen to my own music. Like I will quietly when no one's around yeah. listen to it. And I think it's great. It it's the thing of like if I don't like it, then why the fuck should anyone else yeah, like totally. it? So it's the same thing about like playing it. So yeah. it it's all fine and, and this is something that took me a long time to wrap my head around of like, well I want people to play my music. Why are they not kicking down my door? Like I have all this music, like what they do. But it is just that moment of like maybe I need to play it first or I need to put it out in the world. Well, you world, know, this or... is the thing. So, I mean, I, I mean, actually, thank gosh, I, I like performing and, and trained as a performer. Otherwise, I might just be waiting for people to commission. They wouldn't. And I do mostly write for myself. But actually, to answer your question, because it suddenly reminded something you said reminded me, probably the first time I was commissioned was for the Bibliothèque Productions, the commission right. thing. Actually, yes. I'm thinking, I'm like, it's in the title of their concert yes, series. Yes, commission. Yes, yes. Which would have been, what was that, two years ago, maybe? No. But but you know why it doesn't immediately spring to mind? is because I'd come... I love Magdalena Minar, runs that, and Louisa Tiart was also on that sort of um, collective. And I loved the series that they were doing, where they would have, for people who don't know, and you might be more succinct in describing this, mm. they would have composers reimagine works by a popular band or popular artist and rearrange it for various classical instruments. So it could yeah. be a string quartet or a piano trio or you know, flute, violin and piano. And I and I loved that whole series. And I mean, I saw, yeah, a couple of yours, yeah. um, both with Nightlight Collective and with, you know, various configurations, but you've done arrangements or contributed works. And it was a way, and we've spoken about this a lot, of getting younger audiences to appreciate classical music. Yes. And it was amazing. And so I basically, I'm not shy. I'm not, hopefully not obnoxious, but I muscled my way into that because I thought, oh, well, if I'm going to do something, this is the context in which I'd be excited about doing it. Yeah. And I didn't think, oh, I can't do it. I thought, well, if they choose a popular artist that I love, I mean, it's not original writing. So it was like, okay, cool. I, I knew I could arrange. Yes. And that's because of the whole jazz thing and, yes. and being a band leader as a singer. Uh, that training came in useful here, I think. Which which we did uh, Coldplay. It was a Coldplay, yes. It was Coldplay, yeah. and also they would have the arranged. I did it with Matt Dennis. Yes. So we basically each picked three or four Coldplay songs and we arranged them for string quartet, and then you could include your own music um, and your own works that you'd done. So it was good because it was sort of there was comfort in the fact that well, it's Coldplay's music, and then you were offering up your own gem. Yeah. You know, sort of to be peppered throughout, and and I thought and Matt was great. Um, yeah, he was a composer that I, I really liked the stuff of his that I'd heard. And he's a lovely guy as well. He's so yeah. just lovely and gentle and generous. So that and that and, and yeah, okay, technically, yeah, everyone got paid, musicians, composers. So yeah, that's a commission. Right. Yes. <laughs> so edit out the first part where it's like, I've never been commissioned. No. But, like... but, but the, the point that I'm trying to make is I don't behave in a, in a working composer way in that I'm not yeah. commissioned regularly. But I, I think that's also just sort of what you do I don't want to use the word it's not weird. necessary but it's just like you you perform your own stuff you present May, your yeah. own work yeah I mean I you know I'm sure you know I think of something like is it Johnny Greenwood and, and Tom yeah. York like I mean they do soundtracks and stuff these yeah, days I mean, where that is a little bit of like a here is a commission but they don't have to like no, I mean they, they, they do their own shit they I mean they, I, I like that you liken me to them Mateus. <laughs> 
because I need all the work I can get. Right. You heard it here first. Like aim at the I will play triangle yeah, for you. Right. I mean, I'll learn how to play it and then I'll play it. Um, I once uh, managed to convince someone uh, at Varsity that you needed like a, a grade eight or nine to play a triangle professionally in an orchestra. Um, I wouldn't but, yeah. disagree with you because that triangle cuts through like it's nobody's business. So if it's out of time, if it's rushing or if it's lagging, it's I not. Mean, it's very, it's very noticeable. Very noticeable. <laughs> So, of, of your earliest stuff, uh, you mentioned, uh, or you spoke about beforehand, Feel Good Song as mm. uh, an example of an earlier thing. Tell me a little bit about that song. So, I offered that song up to you because I was like, well, there's string orchestration involved in it, although admittedly it's one violinist, a, a friend of mine, Ooh. Alina Omsi, who who's Canadian, who happened to be in New York visiting, or she was working for sort of Charles Mingus Festival or something, right. um, but basically it's her overdubbed. Right. Um, because I'm cheap as shit. No, no, no. It's the way of the world. It's efficient. It I'm about yeah. maximum efficiency. But it was the first time where I was like, oh, I'm going to get a bit of a string effect here, which I, I love that sound. It's part of what I love about it's scores. Definitely, I think, especially if I think of like the work that you do quite a bit with Ariella, mm. it is your voice. I think they're, they're, you add a lot of string stuff yeah. to it. Um, yeah. I which... love the lushness and it, it's unabashedly pretty and and I, I'm so aware when I'm watching films and I know that I'm being emotionally manipulated right. by the score and usually I'm like what is it? No, it's not the Spanish guitar. No, <laughs> it's not the triangle. Yes. I'm like oh it's the fact that it's strings in harmony all at once. Yes, like, yeah, okay, uh... I will go there. Let yeah. me lie on your bed of strings. So, but the but the song itself, I don't know. I think I've been in South Africa and I've gone back to New York where I was living at the time. And I, I at several points in my life, I've been very despondent about jazz and what it means to be a jazz musician. And I have, I've gotten really dark on the fact that I think it's really hard for jazz vocalists to get a break and very often you hear the jazz vocalists who are and either they are, you know, ye old souls, which is great, mm. or they're doing contemporary or new music and I, you know, I don't think it's, you know, that great or whatever. It's, it's, it's really hard not to get down on yourself and I have several times and as a result I've also transferred it and been like, oh, well, fuck you, jazz. Yeah. And I think that song, it's not a like, you know, up yours to jazz, but it is commentary on the differences between jazz and popular genres yes. and what's acceptable for one is not acceptable for the other. And also what I think about a lot as a as a woman in any genre, when I look at your sort of male counterparts and I'm like, well, he doesn't have to wear heels and put on a nice red lip. Or, you know, I mean, I get, I, I get very verbal about this on Facebook. People roll their eyes. But in the South African popular music scene, I'm like, well, where is the female version of Majosi? Where is the woman in a fedora who can just wear jeans and a plaid shirt? Nice. You know, or where are the three women who aren't showing cleavage who are like the female version of Gangs of Ballet and who are over 35? <laughs> like, they don't exist. So... I mean, I get very, yeah, I get very sort of irked about it. But Feel Good Song is sort of just commentary on the right. jazz thing. And I thought, well, I'd have some fun with it. And Carly Rae Jepsen's Call Me Maybe was really, like, popular at the time. Yes. Uh, and, and it was fun. I mean, in terms of, like, writing and arranging, I was doing it for myself. It wasn't commissioned. So I could do anything. Yes. And it could be as derivative as I wanted it to be. And because I thought, actually, the words are kind of... I mean, maybe mildly clever or amusing. I thought, oh, well, let's go and actually like record this and document it for right, right. all of time. I wanna write a feel-good song and sing it to the world of sunny days and blooming flowers. I'll use those happy words. I wanna teach my brain to stop, to let go, and be free. 
Perhaps that's when the song will come on sailing home to me. I blame it on the fact that I'm a jazz musician, really. If I could channel Britney Spears, I'd sing this song more freely. I envy all those pop stars who can sing about young love till they're blue, blue, blue. song that's catchy and so cool the teeny boppers and their friends will sing it while at school i want to be on mtv with dancers scantily clad i'd like my gigs to be filled with folks other than my dad i blame it on the fact that i'm a jazz musician really if i could channel justin Biebs, i'd sing this song more freely i envy all those pop stars who can sing about young love till they're blue, 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 blue. To reharmonize this verse Because you see I can't leave well enough alone It's the jazzer with me I hope it's recognizable Don't want to leave you out The jazz is for the few elite Who know when not to shout I blame it on the fact That I'm a jazz musician, really If I could channel Taylor Swift I'd sing this song more freely I'd like to sing this tune right through Something isn't right It's so great solo here I blame it on the fact that I'm a jazz musician really the less I improvise the more I start to see things clearly at the end of the day it's all just music you really can't go wrong One thing that I, I definitely noticed, uh, and I'm this is intentional. The ending is a nod to under pressure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That it has totally. To, yeah. It's a nod to under pressure, but actually, in hindsight, which was not intentional, I didn't sort of link that up to the pressure I felt trying to, you know, be quote unquote successful in the jazz world. But actually, right. there's that as well. Yeah, people on YouTube comments were like. I hear under pressure, and I'm like, you goddamn genius. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, you hit it much better than Vanilla Ice. I mean, <laughs> I love that not under pressure too. Yeah, no, I mean, I had to transcribe. Where was the click and where was the clap? So, you know, attention to details there. So, how do you work? How do you how do you write? What is your process? Badly and uh, without discipline is the answer. <laughs> Again, and I and I often envy you for this actually, Matisse, is because I don't get commissioned, I don't 
get trained. I don't have the sense of, well, I must write every day. You know, a lot of authors say, well, you must write every day. And it doesn't matter if what you write is rubbish. The fact is you're doing it and you're flexing the muscle and training the muscle. And I don't have the self-discipline to make myself do that. And I don't have the benefit of, well, you have a commission deadline, so you better get writing. I do tend to be very last minute anyway. And also I'm juggling maybe like teaching work and performing and and while it's all musical focused or music focused I find it very distracting and I, and I found I love the teaching um, but I have been amazed at how energy depleting I yes. have found it yeah. especially yeah especially depending on how involved things are or what's going on in people's you know lives and students lives and I get yes. sucked in that and I'm very bad at setting boundaries so as a result this last year I've learned a lot about well 2018 I learned a lot about you can be there and listen but don't take it home with you and and don't get on your whatsapp with the student you know yes. like not in an inappropriate way but in a way where they end up leaning on you a lot and you're just like is that what teaching's about because yeah. that's bloody exhausting yeah. um which it can be and it's great it's equal parts it, it is something i know like and i don't know if it's just like a singing teacher thing but uh mm. I know uh, my my mom would talk about it quite a lot. Really, just sort of like you know, should be charging for therapy. Just she's felt like, the same way. That's amazing. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, I always used I used all my music teachers even before I was a singer. Even my piano teacher, like I used her as a therapist. I yeah. often look at Meryl and I just think, gosh, you coached me through adolescence. Like you're in some ways, I'm like you're as much my mother as my mother is. My mother would be like, okay, I've had it with Nikki. I can't take this moody teenager BS here, Meryl. She's yours for the next hour. Yes. Um, but singing teachers, I I do remember there would be lessons where we would sing and we would work, but there would be some lessons where we had just talked. Yes. And I would leave feeling as light as I would feel had we been singing and those endorphins had been released. So I am aware of it, and I like the psychological aspect of teaching. Not because I fancy myself a psychologist, but I I do think the connection between mood and personality and personal whatever's going on in your life and music and how you play then and how you sing as a result, very yeah. interesting. But it can be a lot to take on. So um, to answer your question, <laughs> I work badly because things are sort of haphazard and I, I work inconsistently. But what, because I mostly compose for myself, when I have a nugget of an idea or there's something that I love or something that I want to explore, mm. I'm very good at sticking to it and getting it done. And my MO is that I go to various coffee shops, shout out to Cape Town coffee shops, I, that have good Wi-Fi because I also need time to procrastinate and yeah. like catch up on Hollywood Report on YouTube or whatever, roundtables. Um, but I'll sit there on my bottom and I'll, I'll get it done and I'll enjoy the process. And it'll be fine, I'll leave, it won't be finished, but I know I'm coming back tomorrow. Right. So, yeah, if there's a deadline, then there is a little bit more discipline. Right. But on a day-to-day, because -day, it's largely self-serving. Right. Um, or sometimes the deadline could be a gig. You know, when you, Ariel, and I have played together, if I want to write something new, I need. I know it needs to happen before by the time we get to our first rehearsal yes. you know that sort of thing yeah i'll use that if i want that if i'm feeling like i'm up for the challenge but otherwise i'm just really bloody lazy it's I, I, we spoke about it at the time where when we were doing the most recent trio gig that yeah. we did i wanted to do something new yeah. for it yeah and unfortunately as life goes like i was going through quite a, a hectic like patch of depression and it was just this thing of like I, I can't. Yeah. Like, I just physically totally. can't. 
and there was a very very depressing moment <laughs> where it was I think like the day before we were meant to rehearse and I was brushing my teeth looking in the mirror and I was just like I could have totally fucking gotten this together. I could, I could have if I just like, like even I've done things in shorter amounts yeah. of time. But you know, sometimes you just yeah, can't. You just like, can't. Well, it's a but... relief for me to hear you say that because <laughs> yeah, I just really go through life thinking I'm really lazy. People, it, it happened so like at that particular moment in time. All I really needed to do was watch someone play Super Mario Maker on YouTube. Like. <laughs> It's really like no judgment. You know, I really couldn't have been asked to arrange Led Zeppelin, but anyway, yeah, no. I mean, for a long time, and when I was younger as well, I thought I would only write if the mood struck, which is a very Mm. which a working composer may see as well. That's hugely luxurious and bum in the butter, but it's a very very scary prospect for anybody who writes or composes at any level, and certainly for me, it it has terrified me because I still think it's true to some degree. And like, yeah. I, I haven't song written in ages and I'm, I struggle. Okay. That's also different cause you're dealing with words. So you, there has to be to more of a degree. I'm not saying that's that sort of, you know, a poem or, or literature doesn't inspire instrumental music, but I'm like, well, I don't know what to write about. And so I don't even start. I don't even nice. start with like, you know, a guitar ostinato pattern where maybe I start doodling a melody and then yeah. the lyrics come. Don't even sit down and do it. And recently I've been forcing myself to pick up the guitar and play old songs because I'm just so sort of dried up in terms of I'm not writing anything new. Yeah. And I've never developed the muscle. I, although I know that I think we may even have spoken about it. There are some people who don't believe that that's the way you should sort of delve into writing. As in to wait for that... that no, as in every day I'm going to do some. I'm going to write. It depends. I don't know it, if that yeah. does strengthen a muscle or it, if I, it, it develops something else. Like, I mean, to a certain extent, it's like, I think, like any exercise that one does. It's like the more you do it, the the more kind of fine-tuned it gets. Like, I was very, very lucky when I was writing the Goldberg piece yeah. that around that time there was the, the Chart residency at Blah 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 where having to put together a new concert every month. Yeah. So simultaneously writing stuff for that while getting... So by the time that I got to writing uh, Moments in a Life... I was so kind of like fluid and it, yeah. it, it, it literally happened. The the actual physical writing down, it was about six months of pre-prep and the actual writing of notes and it took me about a month to write the whole piece. So it is that kind of like So it being, does work, so there you go. I, I, think, I think it does help. But the other thing is that when I had similar kind of moments, the whole thing of like lyric writing, yeah. when I used to play with Dawn Treader and, you know, having to come up with lyrics... And, you know, then you'd have within the group, it would be like, okay, so we, we'll workshop a song together or yeah. someone will come along with an idea. And then inevitably, because I was singing it, I'd have to go home and like write some kind of lyric. And I think if I look more and more at like what I've been doing subsequently, the ability to write something where it's just like, I don't need a lyric or something. It, yeah, it's it, very that, it, it, it opens yeah, that up. hugely. To the point even where when we did uh, that piece, And the Days Are... Um, oh, the Ezra Pound. The Ezra Pound, The Days Are Not Long Enough, I think. Yeah. Um, where it's a tiny little poem of like three lines, and on either end I just have humming. Right. But like, doesn't it also remind you that's that's the thing? Because I think having to write lyrics when you don't feel like it or when you're not inspired is a real drag. Yeah. But then 
you'll go and something like that and you'll realize well actually it doesn't have to be a lengthy ode to yes it and, and especially if you're also composing the music it becomes an interactive thing yeah. and and the repetition is so important yes so always i mean i always forget that which sometimes i'm like well that's cop out you're lazy you're repeating the chorus and you're not bothering to write a bridge or whatever but actually from a listener's perspective i think they the the repetition you is like invaluable. hearing familiar things yeah. come back i mean i mean just thinking with like the lyric thing a step further was there was a piece that i did for i want to say mezzo soprano or soprano mm. saxophone and uh wine bottles which karen i mentioned oh, nice. very briefly where there are no lyrics the whole piece is ums and ahs and it, it's kind of with that trying to paint a picture of you know someone getting drunk in a club <laughs> oh amazing and it, you can do it like that then without having to worry about text because if if for that I remember kind of wanting to desperately start the piece and not having a text and going yeah. like if I don't find something I'm never gonna fucking start so yeah. like I just need to yeah. like do something yeah. So this is also maybe like maybe you should consider writing stuff with uh, ums and ahs or without ums, a text. Or without, or or without like, a singer. Or without a singer. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think, you know, where I'm like, oh, the commission thing would be so nice because someone else is saying, these are your parameters or at least these are your instruments. Yes. Go. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, the whole how do you and when do you and why do you is a bit of a mystery. Right. <laughs> so then the, the easier question uh, is who inspires you? What is your biggest influence in, in your writing? Well, I mean, I don't... A general influence would definitely be film composers, but to say that they're an influence means that I've kind of successfully integrated stuff from them into my writing. I don't know yeah, that I have, yeah. but I mean, in, I mean, I'm hugely inspired by Randy Newman, and I mean, I, I just go on about him. But at the same time, Randy often hinders me from writing, because especially when it comes to lyric writing, I'll yeah. hear a new song of his, or if he has a new album out, I'll listen to it, and I'll just be like, well, that's that's bloody fantastic. And I like, why am I even going to you know, not bother? Right. And, and that's not to say, well, you know, if Randy's writing it, everyone else should just quit. It's not that, it's just that, oh my gosh, he wrote something that all at once is so utterly romantic, so humorous, so um, real and part of human experience. It's unschmaltzy. Yeah. And often, look, often that is because Randy is singing it. And again, it's his delivery, I think, is also a huge part of it. It's its, right. its own instrument in whatever he's writing. And then he'll go and orchestrate it. So it'll be a love song and he'll have orchestrated the strings and they come in. And I just, it, it just, for me is, I just, yeah, I cannot get enough. Yeah. Um. So Randy Newman, I'm, I just, I just adore and think he's amazing. And his cousin Thomas Newman, in terms of film composers, like I'm, I'm pretty, pretty obsessed and very happy to sort of dip into that world and not emerge. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Newman and Newman are definitely big loves of my life. Right. Uh, whether they've inspired what I write, I would hope so, but I don't know. And then, of course, I mean, the, the big guns. Like, you know, John Williams, like, I heard his stuff has become so sort of popularist. And if there's a radio station that predominantly plays classical music, but they're like, oh, we'll have a bit of fun and play a film score, they're going to play something by John Williams, whether yes. it's like E.T. or Hook 
or Jurassic Park. And you know what? I actually don't care because I hear it, Matthias, and it, it just is. Even something like um, the theme he wrote for Harry Potter, Hedwig's like, theme. Yes. Even that, which is now quite overplayed, it, you just hear something new and brilliant every single time. No. And there is that feeling as well. I mean, those are such iconic films that they tap into another part of your psyche that takes you back to your childhood even though I mean I haven't watched E.T. in decades and yes. I it's not a movie that I would leap to watch again if I had you know if I was like we'll pick a movie but but the score kind of yeah. for me surpasses it so I think I mean John Williams I just I just am absolutely he I mean yeah. I like uh, people who know me it's no surprise and I'm sure you can see directly behind me a bit of a Star Wars fan like, yeah I was like actually Matthias might opt to watch E.T. Like, given the choice uh, but it, it is that thing of like what, what I find so interesting with, with the Star Wars films yeah. is how at this point I think if I understand correctly the next one coming up he said this is it yeah, oh, really? once I'm finished with this one I'm done and it's nine films and just sort of seeing how he develops how he still like you know will use obviously an older motive or something but just sort of bury it within one of the greatest bits of um scoring that i uh, and was very very influential in how i how i approached uh the goldberg piece yeah there's a scene in i want to say it's return of the jedi yeah where you have yoda as he's about to die spoilers and he's sort of talking about things that have happened he's talking about the force and all that talking about family connections and all that and how in a short period of time Williams goes through basically every motive and it just sort of like flows one into the next and it's so beautifully done and so like you you hear like a little bit da 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 it's like oh Carrie Fisher or Princess yeah, Leia you right. know on, on next thing just all kind amazing. of anyway he, he, he is uh, he is masterful I mean it really composer. really amazing so yeah, and and I'm but look, and there are people who perhaps don't have that sort of gravitas, or they're much younger, um, whose music I hear, and I'm, it's con- I'm constantly inspired. Yeah. Uh, I mean, your dad, in fact, when I was growing up, and maybe this is part of you saying, well, if you are a composer or you have that leaning, you listen to things in a certain way. And I was lucky to play in like chamber chamber camp orchestras where you would play your dad's music, and he yeah. would be conducting it, and and I was definitely aware of the fact that we were playing Peter Louis van Dijk's music and he was conducting it and then he'd also coach us through it and yeah. and loved his music. Uh, also because I, your dad's music had a sense of humour. Your dad's yes, a sense no. of humour. Yeah. And I think that also is also, that ties into probably why I love Randy's music so much. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm inspired by people constantly even you know friends if I get to sing your music or if I get to sing your arrangement of something as well I just think that's so clever because very much I mean I love I, the, the rearranging the reimagining of existing well-known material for me is the easiest way to tell whether somebody has a sense of like creativity or, or they got this or they don't got this right, right. because you have a bar with which to measure it so like yeah. you're for example like your arrangement of Nirvana's Come As You Are because I know the original I can immediately compare it and see what you've done which is yes. part of the fun for me yes um so like yeah, I mean, or when I you know get to play, or when I get to hear your music, um, I've loved hearing more of Cara Stacy's music recently, and the same goes for Galena's music, and that's quite 
yeah, that's obviously very different to being like, ooh, Randy and Thomas and La La Land, you know, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, John yeah. Williams. So I'm, 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 I'm open to be inspired constantly, right. and am inspired. I'm happy to say, touch wood, I'm inspired more than I'm disappointed. Okay. Yeah. By, what, yeah. What has been interesting to see and notice how brilliantly I segue into the next question is how your style has changed. Over the, I think your style has changed. We've spoke, yeah. we've spoken about this. Yeah, I think it was after the last Betwixt mm. concert where I was just like, write more. You need to write more because I'd like to hear where it goes further. Which so, how would you describe your current style? Confused, yearning spear. No, okay. um, uh, my current style. I think it is very influenced by folk music, contemporary folk music. I mean. Not field hollers per se, but contemporary folk music, film film scoring, and the sort of tradition of, of singer-songwriter music, the sense that there is a beginning, middle, and end, uh, and if there are words, it, it generally does stick to song form. Down on 42nd, some kind of magic as the billboards glow. At the end of every corner There's a man accepting bills Magazines and rainbow wrappers And the next day He's selling still It's a train hardly forward Without brakes If you get off It'll be too soon Or so they say So you hang on Just a bit too long And start to enjoy the pain But at least you're on this train I think, I think though While uh, From, I don't know, from the outside mm. As it were, so like while Earlier stuff of yours had sort of a more folky, jazzy. I, we spoke a little bit about um, when we did the, the first time that we played the trio stuff together. Yeah. Sort of talking about uh, Appalachian Journey, kind of. Yes. That, that's very sort of Americana, Americana. Yeah. kind of. I, and I think the stuff that you're doing at the moment, if, if I'm, I will now analyze Please, quickly. I, I would no. love to be analyzed, and can we next uh, move on to my psyche? <laughs> it's just that thing of that. Um, I feel there's now sort of like a bigger foot in like art music. If, That's if that awesome. I, no, it, like, well, it does make sense because I mean, again, we've spoken about this. You're lucky we're now broadcasting. <laughs> we're sharing our, our innermost private conversations with you all. Um, they're like they've spoken about everything. Why are they recording this? But uh, I think it's I think it's because it's lovely to hear, and I will take any analysis you have. <laughs> Critical or or complimentary, really. Um, because of an awareness of the sort of contemporary composer scene in South Africa, which yeah. is in due large part to you. And then also the fact that I was interested in what was happening in America, specifically sort of the New York area before I left, but got much more interested in it when I realized that you, we'd heard of the same people, we were checking out the same people. And I'm, I always, I'm always very delayed. Because in fact, when you came to New York and like when you had a lesson with Missy Mazzoli, I didn't know what you were doing there, aside right. from like coming to see Invictus with Kathy right. Tag <laughs> on a winter's night. But like, yeah. you know, and so again, like I've come round to it, I was like, oh, that's what you were doing there. And 
oh, that's who you had lessons with, and oh, what right. did they tell you? And now I've checked out their music, and so it's always, I'm always sort of late bloomer. But um, maybe it's an awareness of that scene, and then also having to do some programming for FMR yeah. and being quite stubborn. I was my my aunt Karen Karen Miller has a program called Collage, which is chamber music, and she said, did I want to come into her rotation? She she rotates with a few other presenters. Right. And I said, yes, with pleasure, but I don't want to play Haydn string quartets and because that's not the music that naturally excites me. Yeah. I mean, all respect, Haydn. Um, and she said, no, no, actually, I would love you to do it. And if you want to focus on more contemporary current composers then please go for it i would actually love that because no one else is doing it yeah. of course in some sense in hindsight she was offering me up as a <laughs> as a what's the expression as a lamb sure, sacrificial yeah. lamb yeah it's because, like i don't know why i have to wear this target yeah. outfit. This is, <laughs> you, told like, me to, you told me to take the phones off the hook and i don't know why can't i speak to my adoring listeners she's like you can but they won't be adoring they'll be like this music's giving me indigestion um but but i i went blindly thank gosh into it and had some music in collection it forced me to re-listen to it and re-listen it to mm. it and really those were the people that had to make up the bulk of the program people like missy and judd greenstein and um caroline shaw yeah. and, and this whole world uh and even though yonka i wrote kind of before that Maybe, I don't know, yeah, maybe the road was always just kind of going to head there. But it has been fascinating to follow those people online in a superficial way. Yeah. But to see the community that exists and then to, to compare it to the work that you do here is, has been really yeah, encouraging. So I'll take that comparison. Yeah, I don't I, know I, where it's going. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm just very, I'm excited to see how it's Thanks. developing no i well, like i think the, the the word when you mentioned caroline Shaw, it is that sort of like i don't know if that is mm. it feels like there is a i think she's amazing yeah like, and not a nod but there's some kind of well, you know what the funny thing is and i look at a lot of these composers people like caroline and even people like i don't know if you know gabriel kahane who's a no. sort of singer songwriter they're, they're all they're so well schooled in the most wonderful way but also in the most intimidating way yes. and it's you know we're talking about Yale and Princeton and all these Ivy League schools and I know that that's all just you know a cover and a facade but that's where a lot of that's where they met a lot of their fellow composers and like yeah. you know the co-founders of New Amsterdam Records which is such a big supporter and a label supporter for for new music they all met at those sort of colleges yeah. and i'm not saying that that's the only way in but but it gives me a real sense of all well, these are people who studied composition at a very traditional level but then also moving into the contemporary and but yet when i listen to someone like caroline's music i know that there are rules and i know there are rules in all music and the same thing goes for arranging yeah but i often think well if you break a rule it's opinion whether it's right or wrong. To go back to like an elementary thing, when you're doing like UNISA grade four theory, you don't have consecutive fifths. <laughs> but then at this point in time, I just think, well, who gives a shit? <laughs> and no one gives a shit. And you're not gonna compose something for a string quartet and they're gonna be like, oh, well, second violin and viola were playing consecutive fifths and you might wanna it's change like, that. I, I currently have carpal tunnel because of my seventh quartet, which is nothing but consecutive <laughs> fucking fifths. You know, so like, this is the thing, Matisse, yeah. part of me thinks, well, it's good to learn the <laughs> rules, but then if you've never been taught them, which I think by and large I haven't, right. um, I'm aware that I'm a huge sort of 
it, it places me not at a, a great many disadvantages, but I listen to Caroline Shaw's music and I think, well, if I didn't know what your schooling or your background was, or that you'd won like a Pulitzer Prize for music, would I just simply be excited by this and think, oh, that's an interesting way of using the voice. You know, she does yeah. a lot of word stuff. She does a lot of spoken word stuff and that is sort of canon-esque. And, yeah. Uh, so it's lovely to, yeah, for someone to say, well, I hear a slight influence in yours because I don't come from the same place that she does. Right. Um, so it's awesome that you can imbibe that way. Oh, her evening and your hands are vineyard through summer and frost, eyes of rain over the lands, but there's only one forever. Oh. Instant of your luminous body, word without language, treachery of your gleaming hands, for there is only one forever, only one forever, only one forever, only one for do So if you were to have an, an example, to play an example of a more current piece, what would you... I mean, there could be something from an EP that I did in, in 2015 with Ariella. I think it came out in 2015. Yonka's the most current, and that would be yeah. second second to last. Um, yeah, it would probably be that, which is, again, a lot of overdubbed cello, because Ariella was kind enough to... This, it, this is quilt. Quilt, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about quilt, then. So quilt, uh, as we were, I think, saying before, is like quite a nice like precursor to the Yonko. Yes, yeah. Um, in terms of me me experimenting more in my unschooled way, gosh, it sounds like I'm hang up. I best come to you for those lessons quickly to put that to bed. Um, yeah, I think exper- basically feeling like I had no rules. So quilt was on an EP that I wrote the five tracks on it when I had left New York. I was about to move to London, but upon leaving New York, I bought myself a guitar. Mm. And I'd always, up until that point, I'd used the piano as my writing tool. I never performed in public. I was not a jazz pianist. I had, you know, basic jazz level chops, but always wrote on it and then would pass it off to a much better pianist, (laughs) much more competent. And I, for some reason, I was getting slightly touchy with that being my writing tool bought a guitar and I thought well I'll self I'll teach myself I won't go for lessons and then I won't be weighed down by rules because I felt again maybe it's got something to do with me trying to navigate the sort of jazz industry or jazz community but I was so aware of what was right and what was wrong and that actually what was right and what was wrong was completely opinion based it it had there was no there was no fact to it. So I got the guitar, just started noodling on it. And because I was limited in what I could play, it meant I really had to focus on, well, let me craft this song. What is the lyrical content? What is the structure? Right. And then I was so excited to be back for a while and to get to play with Ariella again. And she was keen to play, which is sort of the biggest impetus to write maybe is that you have someone who's like yes I'd love to play with you and whatever we're playing and so I wrote for cello guitar and voice so that was that EP and because I was so emancipated from the idea of well I don't want to write consecutive fifths on the piano 
I just wrote whatever. And so there's some odd stuff on that EP, but it's inspired by, I don't know if I'd rewatched Mulan when I wrote Quilt. Mm. I know I wrote on Ariella's page on her chart. I was like, think Asian tea garden. So maybe I don't know what that was. But it's um it's a bit of a weird piece, but then I kind of I kind of like it. Yeah. It's a very pretty song. Very, yeah, very it's sort of angular. Pretty is maybe the wrong word. No, 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 no. But I love. But <laughs> no, Mateus, no. I unabashedly, I love pretty. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a sucker for it, and I, and I often think that composers don't want to write things that are pretty. And mm. I often think, oh, that could have been so pretty if you hadn't made that interval an augmented yeah. fifth with a sharp second and an unhappy six. You know. So it's it's a strange angular piece, but also the guitar part of it is so so simple because that's all I could play. Right. So it was kind of interesting to see well well what could you do? But then if somebody listened to it, they'd be like, that's angular and sounds very out there or avant or challenging in yeah, that way. Yeah. And I would be like, no, it's literally two fingers <laughs> and barely any fretboard action. Right. Title of my sex tape. Yeah. Um, anyway. But, um... question i know we've spoken a little bit about it as a composer and musician how do you survive how do you make a living good question not a silly question and i wish that more people ask these kind of questions because i hate the tabooness of speaking about money in general 
people are like, oh, that's vulgar. And I just think it's not vulgar. It's unhelpful if you don't talk about it. And especially within certain vocations, and music is no exception, if I was a lawyer and I suddenly had the option of what to charge a client, I'd want to do my research mm. and gather other figures. So, and this happens in, in musicking all the time because musicians are always freelancing and always quoting for gigs and undercutting each other or shooting themselves in the foot yes. or not phrasing the email right so that the client can say, well, that's too much. But they don't, you know, they don't enter, they don't set themselves up for negotiation. The, so, the, the yeah. best thing I've ever learned on that level is always to ask for someone to make you an offer first. Because it'll, or in my case, it's always higher than what I'll actually yeah, yeah. do it for. <laughs> Just like anyone who's listening, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, anyway. No number is too high for yeah, your taste <laughs> and too low for you. So just you go in there. Um, so I, when I moved back, so I struggled in New York. I mean, I was a student for part of that time. So that gives you all sorts of maybe like, you know, get out of jail free cards. Yeah. Uh, and I did a whole bunch of arts administration work, short term projects. I worked for a jazz artist manager. I would do personal system work for other jazz artists selling CDs at gigs or doing admin for them emails. Yeah. Um, and I would I did some teaching. I, I subbed for a friend of mine who went on maternity leave. And when I moved back to Cape Town, I got a job working for the creamery doing social media management. Right. And I was like, awesome, yes, please. And that was based on the social media management that I'd done for my own career, which was, I mean, it was probably, it was too confessional. So they were like, just don't write about strawberry ice cream's feelings, okay? <laughs> but if you can take a good picture and get it on Instagram in time, great. But don't go into anything too personal. I'll be like, but cho what chocolate said to sweet cream? No. So I did that and simultaneously did a little bit of teaching. I think I subbed for someone at Westerford High. And um, then Amanda Tiffin had to go to a conference and she needed a substitute teacher at UCT. And I was like, oh, yes, I would love to. Yes, please. Because I, I knew that I would really enjoy teaching tertiary level students. And I hadn't had the opportunity up until then because it's just so competitive elsewhere. Yes. I, when I lived in London, I must have spent months and months writing to people at Trinity Laban and, you know, Guildhall and Royal College. But it, again, and I understand it. They chances are they'll hire from within, which is kind of what happened to me at UCT. I studied there. I knew Amanda had worked with her. So I got my foot in the door and then did an okay job. And she said, cool, in 2016, do you want to come and teach part-time? Right. So I did, and I was still at the creamery, and I was still performing, but I never count my performing as part of my my income by and large right, that's right. Um, if it's a big gig like Cape Town Jazz Festival was a huge learning curve for me again because they said well can you quote us it was, but I didn't expect to be asked. It was lovely to be asked. It was a great experience, but I thought why are you asking me now? Like I don't, didn't really feel relevant, but will you quote us? And so immediately I emailed and messaged three people. One is a jazz artist manager, the other is, and the other two were jazz musicians who had done the festival before and who had also done Joburg Joy of Jazz. So they had a, a bigger sort of thing of comparison and I got quotes and I was amazed. Mm. Also the discrepancy between yeah. them, sort of two were the same and one was so much lower and someone who I was like, yeah, you're worth more than that. But they hadn't done the same sort of research. Right. When it, and Mateus, that for me is, is quite harrowing. And even then I quoted and they said, sure, no problem. And I said, okay, well, can I do anything with this money? Cause I'd never, I'd never 
I don't I hadn't done any festival gigs that were like that. And um, they said, yeah, no, if you want to play with two people and split this amount, sure. If you want, and I thought, okay, well, this is a important gig to me, and I want my people there, so yeah. I'd like to somehow include Ariella. Um, and I want I had Melissa Fundespe on piano and Kevin Gibson on drums and Sean Savvy was on bass. And I said, well, I can't imagine doing this gig without Chris Engel, who's a saxophonist and a yeah. dear friend of mine who now lives in Ireland. So I was like, okay, well, I have enough save money where I could maybe fly him down and did a little. And the festival was amazing because they ended up covering that flight, yeah, okay. which yeah. was, it's also interesting because I think as musicians, we assume that people don't have money. <laughs> and I'm not talking about a a bride who wants to hire a, a quartet, you know, privately, not private clients, but banks or festivals that have sponsorship, we still assume it's going to be tight. And yeah. I, and again, that goes, that ties into what you said. Either get them to quote you and you'll be like, wow, they do have money. It's like showing your cards. Yes. Um, or always ask for more and you can always come down. Yeah. But you can't go up. Yeah. Or do your research and that's an education in and of itself. Even if they'd said, we're not going to pay you that, you must be joking. <laughs> Uh, but then the other thing is also using those funds smartly. And I was so thrilled to have those my musicians on board. And I wanted, I always want to take care of my musicians. It's a really big thing. It's got to do with mothering, but it's also got to do with keeping a very clear and neat line between, because I'm friends with a lot of the people I play. So I don't want to, I don't want to mix the two and have friendships go bad or right. have business dealings go bad right. it's not worth it to me so I'm always very upfront where I'm like this is the gig and it pays X or if we do a trio, trio gig we're like cool we know we're splitting the proceeds yeah. three ways but we're happy to be there so that's fine um, you were happy to be there right yes. <laughs> so I'm just kidding so but you know but, but when I so I mean for example and I mean it's, it might be interesting like with Ariella friends of mine who aren't musicians will be like oh what's your band called or you know are you and Ariella in a band and I, I adore Ariella to bits but we've also been friends for like over 20 years by this point I treat our playing together like a business transaction I welcome and invite any creative input but my email to her says this is the gig this is how much I'm gonna pay you mm-hmm. I don't want to have to put her in a position where she's like is this gonna pay or she's I mean she's remarkable because she'll often say to me Oh, I'll do that for a few minutes. But it, the lines can start to blur. Yeah. And so I, I, in that sense, I employ her. We remain great friends, and our working relationship is, is there's no there's no real hierarchy there. Right, 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 right. But we also have very defined roles within it because she's playing the cello. Sometimes she's you know singing harmonies. I'm writing the songs. But similarly, if she wanted to write something and bring it to the table, I'd be. Yeah. all ears and on board to make it you yeah. know work and sound great or you know so it's it's an interesting thing it doesn't get spoken about enough I think I mean something that I I remember sort of when I started working more regularly with uh, Simon Ratcliffe from yeah. Sound and Motion Studios where he kind of pulled me aside at one point along the lines of like dude quote hire like stop really? this is like think, welcome think input outside of like yeah. the classical music he does air quotes very yeah. silently but right yeah. because fuzzy's got simon's got such experience in a commercial world again like because he also does so many films was there is money there yeah and they're happy to spend the money on on the musical aspect because they put so much into the rest of the production yeah um so yeah, it's, it is. I it's really important to to talk about and to get back to your answer. So I was basically juggling those things. The odd gig may bring in profit, which was great, but my goal with gigging has always been to break even. Right. And I've done many, many, many a gig, um, even abroad, where it's a bit more of a uh, 
punch to the gut yeah. uh, where I haven't broken even and I pay out of pocket, but it's fine because yeah. the musicians are taken care of. Yeah. So all I walk away with is, you know, no flat whites for that week. But, and I basically phased out my, my creamery or yeah, my social media work for the creamery, which is an ice cream company in Cape Town. They do great seasonal ice cream, handmade ice cream uh, with, with teaching work at UCT. So I kind yeah. of tried to get more hours um, or as many as I could as a part-timer. So this, this ties in nicely to the next question. Of all the gigs that you've done, what is your like favorite performance memory, be it rehearsal or the concert itself? Well, and, I, and I'm not like saying this to, to carry a favor. I love the rehearsal process with you and Ariella because I, I feel very much accountable because it's a combination of your music, my music, but also I feel like I'm playing with people who are, yeah, who are better than me. And so it makes me, no, yeah, no, really. I mean, I think also, but I mean, like you and Ariella perform so much more regularly. Um, it's also, you know, the nature of your instruments and like, I'm not going to do, I can't really corporate season or like, let's say high season comes around in December, but I can't really do a good, like doobie doo YA, like, or, you know, Gloria Estefan Conga. So, so I don't get a lot of corporate work um as a singer but if i was a string player because you now realize that i want to do an arrangement of the glorious do, 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 oh yeah kind yeah, of like, yeah. yeah. As, you should <laughs> um so i feel like the two of you are just you're well oiled and i get rusty very often very quickly so i love i love rehearsing with the two of you because i have to prepare and i have to practice it's a weird thing. It is that the older you get or the sort of more, um, the longer you've been a musician, I think the more you can get away in terms of not practicing or shortcutting it. And then yes. there'll be rep that you get where you're like, actually, I need to sit down. I need to get my pencil out. I need to have a system. And that's why I like singing your stuff because it's like one <laughs> and two and three. And I just think, wow, this method still works. Um, <laughs> so I do. I love our rehearsals because I love how I have to prepare for them. And then I love the process because there's this attention to detail. Right. When I'm band leading, I don't hold myself accountable to that level of detail. I forget about dynamics and it'll often come from someone else in my rhythm section who'll be like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, the piano left hand and the bass were doubling here? And I'll be like, great, put it in, right. you know, but it's not coming from me. Right. I sort of zone out a bit. Um, so I've loved rehearsing with you two in, in trio setting. I found the the process of rehearsing for Cape Town and Chanel Jazz Festival I found incredibly anxiety inducing. Okay. Yeah, I actually, I ended up not gigging for a good couple months after that because the whole process, while I'm incredibly grateful and the gig was great and it was fun and I, and I, learned a lot it almost like did me in because mm. i i was doing all of the contract negotiating and sound stuff myself which is fine it's normal for an indie musician and that's what i've always been so it's not foreign but on that scale where doing that and not being able to just go and focus on the music was a drag right it usually is a drag yeah. But I usually don't mind it because, you know, it's one email to the venue and then we're set. And then it's like, cool, let's go rehearse and figure out what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and we had a sound guy who was just such a, I mean, <laughs> such a cliche, really. And I, and I was a singer and it was all just such a cliched situation where he basically... I said, well, can we move the piano? All right, guys, she wants to move the piano again. 
just ignore the stage plot. And I was like, listen, firstly, it's a baby grand, but you're, you've put some MIDI something in it. So it's right. not even, it's not even a piano. Yeah. I didn't know that was going to happen. Please, you know, ignore the fact that I asked for a piano. But, yeah. but you know, stuff like that, where I was like, listen, we all have to adapt. And me asking you to move the piano because I didn't know the exact dimensions of your massive conference hall stage. Yes. I just, you know, and the funny thing is, Sorry, little gossip, because I'm a bit of a gossiper. But I subsequently, you were with me on that gig. We did the Yonker gig at the St. Oyster Fierce. Yes. And obviously that's a venue with, with various stages within the venue. And they were using the sound, same sound guys. <laughs> and there was a guy, not this guy who sort oh. of smack talked me, who came, who I said, I was like, oh, I know you. And he said, yeah, I did your sound at the Jazz Festival. And I was like, oh, nice to see you again. And then I made a joke and I said, oh, your boss isn't around, is he? Or the sort of main guy. And the guy was like, no, why? And I was like, oh, don't, never mind. And a couple of weeks later, I got an email from this guy saying, hi, Nikki, I heard through the grapevine, Cape Town's way too small, oh my God, <laughs> that you were unhappy um, when we did the jazz festival. And I just wanted to say, I, I never, aimed. Yeah, really nice email, but I, I was quite firm when I emailed him back and I said, listen, Thank you for your note. And I'm sorry that you heard it this way. It's not like me to gossip. Just ignore what I'm doing now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not Podcast like I'm putting this listeners. on a yeah. public platform at all. No. Like, no. I'm very no. honest. Do a fault. <laughs> but I just said to him, I was like, but for the record, it was my first time playing at a festival. I don't do a lot of big stages. And I was trying to be as professional as I could be. And basically your attitude just really sucked. And it made it harder for me to do my job. Right. And I was like, and I didn't have a middleman, I didn't have a manager, didn't, you know, and I had no go-between and, and the way you behaved was like, you've been in this business a long time, yeah, you should yeah. know better. Yeah. So I was polite and I was appreciative of his email, but I was also very upfront about... So the equivalent of the old newspaper on the nose. I'm like, no, no yeah, exactly. bad sound person. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so that gig, I mean, to be, again, completely transparent... It was a huge gig and I, I, it was a, yeah, it was a challenge. It was yeah. rewarding, but it was a challenge. And so rehearsals, I love the rehearsals of the Ariella. I love the gigs that we do. And I, and I've loved the Yonker gigs. Again, not all of the Yonker gigs. It's a string quartet voice, which is me and spoken voice. It's six people, you know, and it, yeah. that's not a huge number. But for me, in terms of logistics and the fact that I'm liaising with the booker or the venue, yeah. It takes a lot of time. I mean, like one of the, the frustrations that I have or had or have, it, it does exist, but it's been kind of quiet at the moment. The film orchestra stuff that mm. I do with, with Fuzzy, where especially if it's a project where I'm orchestrating as well. Yeah. Will you then to, play or no? I, I'd conduct okay. and I'd have to book the players. Oh. So it's like you're sitting there trying to orchestrate 40 minutes worth of music as quickly as you can, yeah. or 20 minutes or whatever, as quickly as you can, while trying to book, you know, 20, 30 players. So it's constantly sort of dealing with messages of like, oh, I can't, uh, yes, I can, sorry, what was yeah. the info again? And it's just like, fuck, I'm just trying to figure out how to voice this chord. <laughs> can we yeah, just, and that's yeah. exactly, it would be really nice to have someone <clears throat> else doing the just, and I understand, like, that is that's what if you're an indie musician you know you, ha you have you know to the game it, yeah. but it is amazing the degree to which you're like well I, I can't complain and then you're like no actually this is cutting into the creative process and enjoyment yeah. and reward and everything of the of the game yeah 
Um, so yeah, I like small venues and I like small configurations and small collaborations. That said, I mean, we've done the Yonkers stuff several times, which is a luxury and something I'm eternally grateful for. And there was a performance that we did, which just, it was like cutting butter. It was so effortless for me. I don't know. It might've been your worst. It was a Franchic Literary Festival. Right. Where I also felt for us, it was like an apex because right, we've done it several times running up and I felt like stuff just clicked. I don't know if you felt that Which way. Which leads me to the, the next question very easily of what is your favorite piece, if you were to say something? Something something from the, the in, Escape, the Ingrid Yonkers suite. Right. Um, just because I feel like someone else wrote it. So I feel like that's a good sign. Okay. <laughs> in, in an unobnoxious way, the we're like, man, no, I'm good. Because I have news for you and about well, the yeah, text. Okay, no, the no. Te- someone else wrote the text? Yeah, no. I thought I, it came to me in a dream. No, yeah, so obviously someone else wrote Ingrid wrote the text and, you know, Anki Crock and Andre Brink did the translations, but the musical part of it i'm like who wrote that like where did that come from which again also terrifies me because then i think well i may never write anything good again which i have learned is such a common thing with actors you often hear them say every role i go into i think oh they've booked the wrong person and i'm not gonna be able to hack it and my cousin actually said the other day she's a barrister in england and she said every time she gets a new brief she has a wobbly and is like "I'm, i'm not gonna be able to do this or figure this out or right. give an opinion or whatever it is that barristers do. <laughs> I had a wobbly um, once in my briefs as well. That's why the brief was called the shot ensemble. But anyway, yeah, sorry. You uh, can't edit that out. No, you can't. On. I've been too frank. It's your turn. Um, but uh, so it, so it's interesting then if you if you look at every vocation and the degree to which we all maybe feel like hacks whenever we embark on a new client or project or whatever yeah. the Yonker thing yeah I feel like someone else wrote the music um, other than me and it wasn't Ingrid no. Yonker uh, but as a result I'm very I'm very proud of it yeah and I and I like it and I enjoy it and a lot of it is instrumental obviously yeah. a lot of it is sung and whenever I get to enjoy the instrumental moments I get to take it in perhaps like most composers who have regular commissions do right. that's a lovely yeah it's a lovely thing it's a beautiful piece and it, oh, it's thanks. been a lot of fun playing it um oh. we'll, we'll get to the plugs bits in a moment <laughs> but yeah no i'm just thinking with the, the imposter syndrome i mean that that is very very common yeah. one of my favorite stories um which i saw uh, neil gaiman uh, shared yes. on twitter talking about some function that he was at and he was he he buries the lead but talks about like there was a guy there who had they shared the same name so they were kind of like hanging at the back and talking and this guy was so kind of like you know i look at this room full of people who have achieved things and you know like all these like amazing people and gaiman's kind of like well you were the first man on the moon like you kind of <laughs> did achieve something so it's like everyone, everyone. has it, that oh. thing i'm like what the fuck am i doing yeah. here like Uit die Valkenburg het ek ontvlug En dink my nou in Gordon's baai terug Ek speel met paddevisse in een stroom En kerfswastikas in een rooie kraansboom Ek is die hond 
wat op die strande draaf en dom alleenig tegen die aandvind blaaf. Ek is die seevoel wat verhonger dwaal en dooie nachte optig as een maal die God wat jou geskip het uit die wind so dat my smart in jou volmaaktheid vind. My like, le uitgespoel in weer en gras, op al die plekke waar ons eenmaal was.
what is the best advice that you've ever received from like a teacher or a mentor? The best advice that I've received was from the, at the time, the Dean of Jazz Studies at the Manhattan School of Music, a drummer called Justin DeChocho. And it was our first day, sort of like our orientation day. I was about to start my master's and there were undergraduates in the, in the um, auditorium as well. And he basically was like, the two nuggets I can give you are pay attention to detail and work a little bit harder than everyone else. Um, it's so American, <laughs> but the, but I, I, yeah, I think I, yeah, though that has really left a lasting impression on me and to the point that I now repeat it with my students, especially the pay attention to detail, sure. because I, I come down hard on students who I feel are skimping on that. And that can mean that you're learning a, a Charlie Parker song and you're, not quite nailing the flat nines and it's like such an important note in the dominant sevens chord you know especially if it's out like and stuff like that or you learnt the lyrics but you learnt the lyrics from a singer instead of going back and seeing exactly what yeah Ira Gershwin wrote you're like oh okay so that's sort of detail and then also like detail in practicing and asking a composer do you want that forte or mezzo forte or do you prefer this sort of bowing whatever it's just applicable to everything Mm. and it's also applicable to the way in which you self-manage if you're an indie musician what is the tone of your emails and are you sending your musicians reminder messages about a a rehearsal or about the gig not because you think that they're that they're unprofessional and unable but just because it's like dotting i's and crossing t's um so i think that paying attention to detail is is applicable across the board and working a little bit harder than everyone else i find that Look, that can be the nail in your coffin in somewhere like the States or places where it's very competitive. Mm. And by competitive, I don't mean like razor blades between the piano keys, although that's Francois' story from like him uh, studying in Stuttgart or something. Well, I know with, uh, it was Jürgen Schüttering when he he was studying at at Juilliard that apparently, so he was, he didn't stay in the music musicians res he somehow he managed to get like a spot in the acting kind of res and as fate would have it his roommate for a couple of months before the guy dropped out was robin williams um but part of why he was so happy to be part of the uh at the actor's door was it was quite kind of common that you'd have um people like attaching razor blades to door handles and shit. Oh my god, it's to like rip your fucking fingers open. Harrowing. And yeah, okay. Like, it's just yeah. Yeah. So I mean that that sort of cutthroat competitiveness, thank gosh, I've never experienced. But working a bit harder than everyone else, it can mean a lot of different things. But I, I think it's very useful in somewhere like South Africa or certainly Cape Town where the pace is a bit slower, the pool is a bit a bit smaller. It's more poss- It's more likely that you can strive to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond and all of that. And I mean, I, those are all positives in my mind. But it also means that it's very easy to kind of sit back and especially if you're a musician where you can create your own gigs and get your own stages and all of that, it's very easy not to do that stuff. But by doing it, you are perhaps working a bit harder than everyone else. That's my plane, must be. Yeah, no, apparently. (laughs) This, I mean, also ties in, I guess, to uh, the the next question, but you've sort of started talking about, which is what would you suggest to uh, an aspiring composer or a performer or to the scene as a whole? Yeah, 
to an aspiring composer, I look. I consider myself an aspiring composer to a large degree, which is great because it makes me feel a lot younger than I am. It makes me, you know, shaves off about ten years. But I, I would, my my advice would be to find what you love, whether it's a composer or a style of music or something that exists in a specific context and to love it unabashedly and then to listen to it both for enjoyment but also with an analytical, critical ear. So you love something. I always say this to my jazz students. If you hear something that a singer is doing that you love, ask yourself why you love it and then see if it's a trait that you feel you could absorb or whether that feels a step too far and it would be too close to, let's say, mimicry. And if there's something, similarly, if there's something you don't like, it's the same thing with food. So often we say, oh, I don't like that. Why don't you like it? Is it too peppery? Or is it flavorless? Or whatever it is, it's, I think it's such a good way to keep your brain sharp and to keep your ear, in a musical sense, like sort of keen and, and ready to absorb. Yeah. Um, so I think developing that kind of active listening skill is really, is really valuable. And then I think have lessons, go to school. I, I think it's so important. I would still like to go back to school. Yeah. I look at places that have like one year composition courses. Again, also because I would love to get more involved in, in writing software. I mean, I'm such a late bloomer, as I've said before, but things like Sibelius, I only got introduced to when I was in graduate school. So that was 2009, yeah. and it totally changed my life. And Finale was around when I was at the College of Music, but yeah. we didn't have to use it. Look, I developed good penmanship, but to be honest... I can't write for shit now. Like, I can't even write a note. Like, yes. we need milk. It's completely illegible. I don't even own pens. Well, they get the, exactly. <laughs> and and maybe that's why like... musicians are always in that conundrum in a rehearsal where it's like, does anyone have a pencil? Yes. We're not writing, okay? Everything's, you know, on the computer. But Sibelius was such a game changer for me. And so I can't imagine how my life would change if I was able to use other programs right. well, uh, even like GarageBand. You know, I can use it to to splice something up, but I can't record on it. I don't have an interface. I never did that, and I, and I wish I had, and I'm the sort of person who needs someone or something to get my ass into gear. And so for me, going back to study would be awesome. And also then perhaps it would also help me conduct myself in the world with a little bit more clout. It's all about confidence, really. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think studying is great. And if it's not a program or whatever, I mean, individual one-on-one -on -one study. And yeah. if you are older and if you behave in this way, it doesn't have to be every week. It can be once a month. And you know, if a teacher is good, they'll give you enough to think about and apply and mull yeah. over for at least two weeks, if not longer. No, no, no. So that's my advice. So those are the, the questions that I ask everybody. And which brings me to the question at the end here, which is, uh, again, for people who are listening, if they have a question, if you have a question for a uh, still hangover brain is still going, I swear I'm not hungover. I think it's you're just doing like... excellently, for the record. Good job. No, uh... This could be January 30th. <laughs> um, let's try that again with my radio voice. Um, if, if you have a question for a, a composer, any question at all, 
Uh, you can either contact me on Facebook. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Bat Composer. Um, I'm also on Instagram if you like pictures of cats. Um, uh, so yeah, if you have a question, you can send that to me. So there's one. It's funny actually that this is the one that I was going to ask you because I think you kind of answered it earlier. But I was like, I have to ask it anyway because like I I had it prepared. Um, which is what do you do to stand out as a composer? And I think you actually kind of spoke cool, about it a little bit. That's a big question, I don't, I don't know because that's not at the fore of my mind when I write. I'm not trying to be different. I mean, I'm not a particularly, uh, what's the word, contentious composer or performer. I'm not a Joanna Newsom. Right. I, I, both in the way that I use my voice and both in what I write. And, you know, people love or hate her. She's very polarizing. I'm not a polarizing character, and I think I'm too much generally of a people pleaser <laughs> to ever do something to be like, I'm an stand out you're gonna hate this or you're gonna love it which is also why i've, yeah. I've written here in brackets underneath or is this why something are you so that, boring or, no <laughs> or is this something that doesn't matter uh, to you yeah it why, doesn't matter yeah. it, it doesn't matter too much to me and i i think part of that is also because i exhausted that question when i wanted to be a jazz musician and i was trying to make inroads in the jazz industry and i was right. going to trade shows in bremen and i was trying to network and i was writing the most audacious emails you have ever read in your life to like Joni mitchell's ex-husband larry klein being right. like i'd love to work with you oh what the hell i mean it's unbelievable and i've stored them in my computer and you know and letters to record label owners and boutique management people saying but you know I mean gosh the gumption anyway um but so I've kind of exhausted that because all these emails I I had to pitch myself it's like pitching a Woolworths cleaning detergent what makes this detergent better or different to others and so I would be like well you know I'm unique because I have brown curly hair and it hasn't (laughs) had a Brazilian blowout it's still curly you know like I mean so when I'm composing again and also it is by and large so for me that I I concern myself with is it self-indulgent because that I loathe in myself and in in others again it's opinion whether something is or isn't self-indulgent but that is probably at the fore of my mind like is this is this unnecessary musical information um but i don't need to be different i just need to be me cue the care bears theme song no yeah yeah it's i don't i don't need to stand on do you need do you strive sorry i I try i do i do try i i what is it the cat hair that you sellotape to each chart (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) it's how you know it's a fun deck original cat scratch <laughs> no, I, it, it's I've spent quite a lot of time trying to find my voice. I think, as it were, yeah. And my part of my reasoning with that is, I mean, obviously, everything that that one writes is somehow influenced by other things. They, mm. that's just a given. Yeah. But it's what you do with it, I suppose. Mm. So, like, I, if I wanted to listen to Ravel. Mm-hmm. I would listen to Ravel, and it, it's that it's that thing of like I mean I don't know, 
there are plenty of composers who write in that style. I know that for a long time, stuff of mine, I had people telling me to stop writing like Shostakovich. And it, it used to be just the thing of like, well, I'm not. And it's like, yes, you are. And I then go back now several years later and I look and go like, you're yeah, absolutely right. This is completely fucking Shostakovich yeah. plan. I don't know. On, on that level, I, I do try and yeah. kind of like, me, me. Like leaping. Well, you know like what? The... Okay. Well, you know what? Then it's made me realize because of that comment about you writing like Shostakovich. That was such a big part of me developing as a vocalist specifically a jazz vocalist yeah. where i remember andrew lily saying to me oh nikki you're sounding a lot like stacy kent who's a, an american british based jazz vocalist who i love and i realized at that point i mean i'd been listening to her around the clock and i thought okay cool let's put the stacy kent records away and let's move on to someone else yeah. and that is the process for all jazz musicians regardless of your instrument which is that you need to absorb you need to mimic and then you need to slough off the excess and hopefully you're left with you and you have a very clear voice and all of that and I struggled so much with that as a singer and I think but actually the fact that I can't answer that as a composer or that it doesn't factor into my composing is because I haven't done enough composing because I do I think it's part of every process and I think if I was a proper composer um or someone who was commissioned (laughs) regularly I I would be writing more and it would become something that I was more aware of but at this point in time it's something that I, I I love to do and have been challenged by doing, but I have to some degree. I do feel to some degree like I've plateaued, and that's why I want to. I think, but I, I I definitely think so that you have a voice. Uh, a voice. I mean, like Thank we you. we spoke about that a little bit earlier. Just that sort of, even if it's just down to like the string thing for one for okay. one of a better better way yeah. of putting it. Like sure. there there are definitely. Um, like if I listen to the Ingrid Jonker yeah. suite, there there is something there that I think sets you awesome. apart from other writers. Okay, um, awesome. I'll take it. I mean, I think like for myself, it's a case of like if if people like my shit or not. I I I'd like to at least believe that they can spot quite quickly. Yeah. Like this is Peter Louis van Dijk. This is Matthijs van Dijk. Like and that yeah. may, maybe that says a lot in my answer. Just kind of like trying to step away. Totally, but but from... it's also justified in the taste, you know. Like I I I I get it, and I would <coughs> expect it to be there, even right. if it's not like yeah, even if it's something that's been dealt with. <laughs> you have dealt with your father, haven't you? <laughs> anyway, on that note, uh, you need my, to eat his feelings. Yeah, but suppress, 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 suppress. <laughs> bury it down. Bury it down. Um, <laughs> What if people wanted to follow you? Uh, where's best? What upcoming gigs maybe do you have that you'd like to plug at this point? I was gonna say if you want to follow me, it's like I go to Cavendish Square every Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one well, coffee shop that is I great. Why? <laughs> I saw like, you in the corner yeah. <laughs> behind the curtains in Big Best. Um, <laughs> if they want to follow me and hear me rant about various things, um, I'm on Facebook at Nikki Schrero Music. I have a website, which is www.nikkishrera.com. And I'm on Instagram at Nikki Schrera and Twitter at Nikki Schrera. And then if they actually want to come and experience me live and kicking in the flesh, um, we have a gig on Saturday the 12th of January at the Norval Foundation, which is in Stienberg, which is the most beautiful art gallery that also hosts live music that Kyle Shepard curates little name drop and we're going to be performing Escape the Ingrid Yonker Suite excellent and you can find tickets online 
Just Google Norval Foundation. <laughs> N-O-R-V-A-L. Sorry, as I swallow my phlegm. <laughs> excitement. <laughs> excitement, Matei. <laughs> excitement, excitement. Thank you so much for sitting down and doing this. Thanks uh, for having me. I feel like this is a chat that was... We've had iterations of it and now we've just fleshed it out to, and recorded to, it. To put it down for, for future generations yes. to look at. But thank you very much. Things fall apart And there's nothing that you can do And hold your heart Better put it away before it's black and blue Doubt is flying like shards of glass Cut you deep to the bone you were so good Now you're lying there on the floor Nothing's as it should be So get up and walk through the door Nobody will make you stay But your limbs won't move Because you must Learn to trust Nobody can see on in walls made of glass Throwing stones will only let them in Draw the curtains, shut off the lights You'll find calm within the storm Because